So our scripture reading this morning, our gospel lesson, is the same one that David preached on last week, the second portion of the sermon on the plain. And it sounds, one of the things I love about scripture is that, as Heidi pointed out, you can hear Heidi Butler's very excellent senior sermon for Marquand Chapel at Yale Divinity School, which she gave last week. And we have a video recording of it, which you can hear. And as she pointed out, which I love about the scriptures too, when you juxtapose two stories side by side, it changes the way they sound. So last week, David preached on this passage in light of nonviolence and Dr. King and everything that he learned from Gandhi and shared with us. And about the challenge, this isn't a Hallmark card experience of loving kindness. It's sometimes something you have to really dig down deep to be able to do. And putting this story in light of the Joseph story and his forgiveness of his brothers is also profound and changes the way we hear it. So let's listen for the word of God from the Gospel of Luke. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured out into your lap, for the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Here ends the reading. How different this passage sounds when we imagine an actual wrong that's done, an actual hurt, an actual trauma. How different it sounds when we picture the experience that Joseph had, sold. I didn't want to go into too much of the detail with the little kids, but you all know he wasn't just sent away and they didn't just say to the dad, he's gone missing. He was, he was sold into slavery and then they brought his torn coat of many colors to his father and let him imagine that he had been torn to bits by wild beasts. And his father, at that point in the story, becomes someone who spends most of the story about him weeping. 
He cries and cries and weeps over his lost child. He's heartbroken. And over time, he does grow up to be the Pharaoh's right-hand man, but he has many, many trials and tribulations in Egypt. And by the time his brothers come to him, we could expect the story to go so very differently. He could have been simmering this hatred in his heart. But instead, what he tells them is that you did this thing for evil, but God has used it for good. And it helps us to imagine that God doesn't want any terrible thing to befall us. But when we make bad choices, when we do the wrong thing, when we harm one another, the way God works is always toward healing and restoration, to bring something good out of the evil thing that happened, to turn things around. So for our, our scripture, our Hebrew scripture for today, I'm turning to this translation that I've shared with you before by Robert Alter. It's so easy for things to get lost in translation, especially the poetry. And so he goes so carefully through the Hebrew, which I, I don't know Hebrew, so I love when he explains all of the puns, the plays on words. The poetry is, carries so much of the meaning that's lost when we read it in English. So... I went back through this Joseph story again, and something stood out to me that I had never noticed before. I had never realized in all of my time studying the Bible that if you look at this beautiful picture that Sherry found on the cover of your bulletin, this feast, Joseph's brothers come to him. Not only does he forgive them, but he throws them this lavish banquet. And he gives them bread. And he gives them a cup of wine. And I always knew that at the communion table, Jesus had brought together 12 disciples to symbolically represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Their father's name, after wrestling with an angel, becomes Israel. Jacob is renamed Israel. And his sons, these 12 sons, represent the 12 tribes. And I knew that the number 12 was symbolic. I knew Jesus called 12 disciples to represent this fullness of all of the tribes gathered together. And it never occurred to me, had it occurred to you, that what we're reenacting when we come to the communion table is what Jesus was also reenacting with the 12, which is a restoration of a broken family that comes back together again at the table. And not just the kind of, again, hallmark, happy, warm, loving family that always got along all the time. No, a family that had hurt and wounded each other in the worst ways possible, coming back together. And when we come to this table, we talk about forgiveness. And I had always wrestled with the idea that forgiveness was somehow given out in the bread and in the cup. That's how you take in the forgiveness. But it really isn't so. It's in the being included and invited into the table. The forgiveness is already there. The meal is an experience of the forgiveness that has already happened when you change your heart and you change your mind and you love people who had been unlovable. Jesus gathered at the table with his friends, and I always skip to Easter. I skip to the road to Emmaus, 
Their eyes were opened and they recognized the risen Christ and the breaking of the bread. And I always moved too quickly through the Last Supper, that it was at that meal when Jesus knew that just like Joseph, he was going to be betrayed and denied and handed over but that he wanted all of them to experience that profound love and acceptance and forgiveness. Something that psychologists would tell you about trauma and PTSD is that there's a marked difference between people who experience a trauma and stay traumatized by the experience so that whenever something reminds them of it, they feel that experience of trauma, their body goes back into fight or flight all over again, just as though they're still in the moment. And some people, often through a lot of work and talk therapy, are able to integrate an experience of trauma into a meaningful story, a meaningful narrative. And they're able to tell the story of what it is that they experienced and how it is that they overcame it and how it is that it changed the world for good on the other side. Not that, it, not that God made it happen to them, but that a, almost a miracle came out of it and the world is changed by the way it shaped their living. It's a process of creating meaning and storytelling out of something very hard. And so at the Last Supper, Jesus brings the 12 together and remakes this story to give them the meaning and the ritual, the story that will carry them through this hard and traumatic thing that they will experience when he is crucified. So let's listen to parts of this story from Genesis. So this is right when they're all gathered together. And even the youngest, Benjamin, is with them. And Joseph hurried out, for his feelings for his brother overwhelmed him, and he wanted to weep. And he went into the chamber and wept there. And he bathed his face and came out and held himself in check and said, Serve bread. And they served him and them separately, and the Egyptians who were eating with him separately, for the Egyptians would not eat bread with the Hebrews. And they were seated before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, the youngest according to his youth, and the men marveled at each other. And he had portions. These are people who'd come out of a famine. They had been literally starving. He had portions passed to them from before him, And it's just an excess of food. He gathers them all around one table and is just so excessive. Then he sends them home to get his father. And he brings them then all the father and all the brothers back together. And in this story, there's no kind of masculinity that I think maybe Americans made it up. Where you have to hold yourself in such... Uh, You have to repress your emotions so much. They all fall on each other's necks, and they cry, and they weep. They hug each other. His brothers, when he tells them who he is, they can't even speak for long passages until finally they they can start to talk to him again. They're so overwhelmed with love. And the father just hugs his son and weeps and weeps. 
and later toward the end of the passage, he gives, that, he gives them his blessing. And it had me wondering about where God is in the story, not just working all of this for good, but in the God who weeps over the wrongs that we do to each other. A God who is tears streaming and just wanting so desperately for the restoration of everyone together. My pastor growing up described Thanksgiving in heaven would be like this. The grandmother who he loved as a child who had passed away before his child was born. At Thanksgiving in heaven, that grandmother is holding that child on her knee and everyone is gathered together. And at that table too, people who you thought never could have been reconciled together, everyone is around the same table, sharing in that experience of love and grace. All of us together creating God's favorite, that rainbow, restoration and reconciliation, Forgiveness, where we come to the table knowing that we haven't been perfect, but we come longing to be fed, like people who've been through a famine, longing to be restored, made complete, returned to one another. Thanks be to God.